Welcome, folks, to the hour of the time. This is the only hour that ever was or ever will be. This is the most important hour in your entire life. For during this hour, you will decide your future and thus our collective futures. I'm your host, William Cooper, and tonight we're going to talk about something that is not taught in our schools anymore, that Americans mostly have forgotten, that is the cornerstone upon which this entire nation was built. If you don't understand what you're going to hear on this program, then you don't understand our founding fathers, the ideals and principles that this nation was founded upon. Indeed, if you don't understand what you're going to hear tonight on this program, then you really don't know anything about this nation called the United States of America.
tonight's show, folks, is dedicated, sincerely, to all of those people who understand that eternal vigilance and sometimes great personal sacrifice is still the price of freedom. And that without the vigorous pursuit of this individual responsibility of citizenship, even Americans will not forever remain a free people. It is also dedicated to all of those citizens who have not yet considered these things in the hope that they will be inspired. I firmly believe that any man or woman without principles that they are ready and willing to die for at any given moment that such sacrifice is required are already dead and are of no use or consequence to anyone. This country was founded upon a great idea which we are going to discuss a little later in this program. That great idea was the motivation for the writing of the Declaration of Independence and for the formation of the Constitution of the United States of America and then later the first ten amendments to that Constitution which are known as the Bill of Rights. The story of our Constitution is a story about freedom, especially individual freedom. It is a story, folks, to remind us of how a great people struggled and sacrificed to set themselves free from the tyranny of excessive government. The great price they paid and the difficulties they faced in securing that freedom for all posterity. It is a story that explains the reasons for the rapid rise of a freedom-loving people to the greatest among all nations. A rise made possible because the people were, indeed, free to create it. Finally, it is the story of how some of those freedoms eventually began to slip away, very slowly and subtly, of how the citizens' sensitivity to those lost freedoms became dulled, of how we began to change our ideas about liberty of the individual versus a powerful central government and of how we lost our understanding of the Founding Fathers' ideas on liberty. Because somebody, somebody, forgot to teach us these things in the homes, the churches, the public schools, and colleges. While I cannot here make up for the educational void, folks, I do hope to help generate special interest in our Constitution during this program and the programs to follow over the months and hopefully years. I have attempted to identify and talk and write about the major philosophical concepts underlying our Constitution and the great principles included in it. Where these great ideas came from and how they were formulated into what Sir William Gladstone, the eminent English statesman, has called, quote, the most wonderful work ever struck off at a given time by the brain and purpose of man, unquote. Our Constitution is ageless because it is a living Constitution. It is not just some old document struck off 200 years ago by doting old men who don't understand the problems of the modern world. For those men understood and knew that they could not foresee all of the problems and all of the possibilities of such a great people for the future. 
So they included within the document its ageless properties, its very life, the ability for it to outlive them and their posterity, and indeed live forever. For within the document itself are the means with which to amend it. According to the procedures and only those procedures outlined within the Constitution. And they created these procedures within the document to be slow acting so that no change could be brought about at the spur of the moment through emotional distress or through error. And that no small body called Congress could bring about these changes on their own and no executive or judicial branch could do it on their own. But it had to have the consideration and the consent of the whole people. The whole people. For our forefathers, the founders of this great nation, would only trust their liberties to the whole people. It all started with the Declaration of Independence. John Adams said this in 1781. This immortal declaration of the 4th of July, 1776, was not the effect of any sudden passion or enthusiasm, but a measure which had long been in deliberation among the people, maturely discussed in some hundreds of popular assemblies and by public writings in all the states. It was a measure which Congress, Continental, did not adopt until they had received the positive instructions of their constituents in all the states. It was then unanimously adopted by Congress, subscribed by all its members, transmitted to the assemblies of these several states, and by them respectively accepted, ratified, and recorded among their archives, so that no decree, edict, statute, placard, or fundamental law of any nation was ever made with more solemnity or with more unanimity or cordiality adopted as the act and consent of the whole people than this and it has been held sacred to this day by every state with such unshaken firmness that not even the smallest has ever been induced to depart from it, although the English have wasted many millions and vast fleets and armies in the vain attempt to invalidate it. The Pennsylvania State House was hot, humid, and charged with emotion as representatives from the 13 colonies came together in June and July of 1776 to consider severing their allegiance to an oppressive government, quote, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God, unquote, entitled them. Every man felt the enormous significance of the moment. In a June 9, 1776 letter, John Adams confided, quote, Objects of the most stupendous magnitude and measures in which the lives and liberties of millions yet unborn are intimately interested are now before us. When these things are once completed, I shall think that I have answered the end of my creation, unquote. Each man knew the dangers he faced. Already, two revolutionary leaders, John Hancock and Samuel Adams, faced the scaffold if caught by the British. 
all knew that if their mission failed, they too would be hanged for treason. As John Adams noted in a letter to Abigail, quote, The declaration was, in fact, an act of treason, and if it were not made good, those who had signed it stood a good chance to incur the penalty meted out to traitors, unquote. But the signers of the Declaration of Independence were not rabble-rousers. They were responsible leaders from the 13 colonies, men of vision, men of high standing in their communities. Twenty-five were lawyers or jurists, eleven were merchants, nine were farmers or large plantation owners, and there were also doctors and educators. A war was already in progress as they gathered in the Pennsylvania State House in a sweltering room with doors and windows tightly shut and pledged their lives their fortunes, and risked conviction for treason in order to gain liberty for themselves and posterity. They formed a committee on June 11th to draw up a declaration. The members of this committee were John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Roger Sherman, and Robert Livingston. Jefferson, whose writing skills were acknowledged by the other committee members, was chosen to draft the declaration. Looking back on the event in 1825, Jefferson recalled that their purpose had been to provide, quote, an appeal to the tribunal of the world, unquote. This, he said, was the object of the Declaration of Independence, not to find out new principles or new arguments, not merely to say things which had never been said before, but to place before mankind the common sense of the subject, in terms so plain and firm as to command their assent and to justify ourselves in the independent stand we are compelled to take. In other words, he explained, it was intended to be an expression of the American mind. All its authority rests then on the harmonizing sentiments of the day, expressed in conversation, in letters, printed essays, and in the books of public right such as Aristotle, Cicero, Locke, Sidney, and company, etc. Now, on July 3rd, the Declaration was almost ready. Jefferson had completed a second draft, and only a few minor alterations were needed. Decision on the final wording was near. One delegate, Caesar Rodney, who had gone back to Delaware on an important errand, was summoned for the vote. Suffering from an advanced case of facial cancer, he, nevertheless, rode horseback all night in the rain, arriving late in the morning for the crucial decision. There was heated debate, because not everyone was convinced that the time had come for a formal severance of all ties with the mother country. John Dickinson spoke eloquently and persuasively of the need for restraint, warning of the calamities that might follow should they fail. The delegates were wavering. When Edward Rutledge prevailed upon John Adams to speak out in support of independence, Adams rose to the occasion, making an impassioned appeal to reason that restored the resolve of the representatives to risk all they possessed in support of independence. Making no false claims, Adams spoke with candor and told the members, quote, If you imagine that I expect this declaration will ward off calamities, you are mistaken. A bloody conflict we are destined to endure. Unquote. The mission was accomplished, and what was to become the greatest nation in the history of the world came into being. 
The spirit of liberty, which had taken root on American soil more than 150 years earlier and had flourished in the American mind, had now expressed itself to the world in writing. Adopted on July 4, 1776, the Declaration of Independence became the fundamental statement of the basic principles and timeless truths upon which the nation was to be established. Eleven years later, the framers of the Constitution of the United States of America would, by that document, establish a new government upon the principles set forth in the Declaration. By doing so, they would translate the philosophy of the Declaration into a constitutional structuring of a government of limited powers, based upon the consent of the governed, designed to secure the individual's creator-endowed rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When the Declaration was signed, William Ellery of Rhode Island stood where he could watch each man affix his signature. Quote, I was determined, he wrote, to see how they all looked as they signed what might be their death warrant. I eyed each closely. Undaunted resolution was displayed on every countenance. Unquote. Such was the strength and courage of our founding fathers. Up until the time that this document was written and adopted, there had never been a people in the entire history of the world who had been truly free. You see, because all rulers up until that time, all governments were based upon the divine right to rule, and the fact that the king or the queen or the emperor or the sultan or the emir or whoever it happened to be sitting on the throne owned the subjects, the subjects being the people. And the ruler had the right to do with those subjects whatever he or she wished to do with those subjects. Even in the Roman Empire, under the Senate of Rome, the subjects were never truly free, not even in the beginning before they began to crown their Caesars and began to become an empire ruled by emperors, even in the beginning the people were not free. Ever. In the history of the world, there have been slaves. In the history of the world, people were subject to the whims and desires of whoever ruled them, whoever sat on the throne or headed the government to which they belonged. Only when the Declaration of Independence was written, signed, and adopted, and then later, after a futile, vain attempt at bringing the country together with the Articles of Confederation, only when the Constitution was finally written, adopted, and became the country, the nation, and then when the first ten amendments were written and adopted as the Bill of Rights, only then had any man or woman in the history of the world ever been truly free. And we are to this day still the only people in the history of the world, even unto this day, who are truly free and who are protected by the document known as the Constitution and the amendments thereto 
against any oppression by our own government or any other. Our rights, our creator-endowed rights, are protected by that document. They limit the government's power to oppress the people or to take away our creator-endowed rights. And that is the unique idea that changed, changed the history of the entire world and made this the greatest nation ever to appear upon the face of the earth. And we're going to talk about that unique idea right now. Some of you will be angered by this, for you have given up the concept of a creator. You have said that God is dead. You have said that we don't need God and that God interferes with your life. And what you're going to hear here is just the opposite. What you're going to hear here, folks, is that without God, you are nothing. Without God, you have no protection. And you are no better than the cockroach who scurries beneath your sink when you turn on the lights at midnight. For without a creator, man is nothing, nothing. Man is on the same footing and the same basis as any other animal, any insect, any fish, or any plant on this earth. And is subject to the laws of the jungle. And anyone who is strong enough are cunning enough to enslave man is entitled to do so under those circumstances. So whether you believe in God or not, you had better listen very carefully to this program. For it was, it was, the statement that there is a creator and that creator has given man unalienable rights that set men free for the first time in the history of the world, for that is the cornerstone, that is the foundation upon which the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and this nation rests. And without it, it will all crumble to nothing. All of it will crumble into dust beneath your feet and will become as nothing. For the unique idea of the American Constitution, the unique idea upon which the Declaration of Independence was based, was simply this. Our forefathers, the founders, embodied a unique idea, nothing like it had ever, ever been done before. The power of this idea was in the recognition that people's rights are granted directly by the Creator not by the state, not by the king or the queen or the emperor or the emir or the sultan, and that the people then, and only then, grant rights to government. The concept is so simple, folks, yet so very fundamental and far-reaching that many people fail to grasp it. And they fail to realize that without this idea, they have no protection, they are nothing. It's very simple. First, there is a creator, more powerful than anything else. This creator endowed man with unalienable rights. Now, I travel around this country and I hear people talking about inalienable rights. Forget it. There are no such things as inalienable rights. The correct term is unalienable rights. 
endowed by the Creator, not by the Constitution and not by the government, but by the Creator. Unalienable means that they cannot be alienated from man. Man himself cannot contract to give them away, cannot throw them away, cannot brush them aside, cannot discard them, for they were given by the Creator and cannot be taken away, not even by yourself. Thus the Creator gave man unalienable rights, and man thus created the government for his mutual benefit and protection, and gave the government some rights. This is how that idea works. And that the rights that the people give the government, only the people can take away from the government. And the government can never take the unalienable rights away from the people. So the first time in history, the entire history of the world, man stood free as a sovereign king in his own right with the government as his servant. And never before had this ever happened. Without this concept, it could never have happened then and cannot exist now. For the idea is this, that there is a Creator that is all-powerful over everything and everyone. That the Creator gave man a special position in nature and allotted to man certain unalienable rights which can never be taken away by anyone, not even by man himself. And that man, in order to create an organization for the mutual benefit and protection of those being governed, create a government which they give rights. The people, man, can take those rights away from the government, grant the government more rights or less rights, and the government is the servant of man. The move in recent years by the socialists and by others who want to destroy this great nation, to do away with God, to destroy God, to destroy religion, is for the purpose of taking away the unalienable rights of man and making man once again the property of the government, of the king, if you will. And this must be resisted by those who understand this principle to their dying breath. It cannot be allowed to happen. And that's why these people, these socialists, the ones who want the one world totalitarian socialist state, the ones who want to destroy this great republic, that's why they must destroy God. And that's why they are so unhappy, because they have no concept of God or of a creator. For them, this is it. And when this life is over, there is nothing else beyond that time, beyond their death. So they are afraid. They are scared little children who need a great, mighty, bureaucratic government that is all-powerful to protect them and give them work and give them food, in exchange for which they are willing to give up all concept of liberty and freedom. And for this reason, they must destroy this founding idea 
the cornerstone of which the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and this entire nation rest is the concept that there is a creator, a God, who endowed upon mankind unalienable rights. That is the entire purpose behind the attack upon God and the religions and Christianity. is because if they can convince the world that God does not exist, then this nation cannot exist, the Constitution cannot stand, the Declaration is turned into a meaningless document, and this great nation known as the United States of America will crumble, will crumble. And that is why I must tell you, folks, that whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in a creator or not, you had better start. Simply because of this, folks, without a creator, without creator-endowed unalienable rights, you are nothing. This nation is nothing. The Constitution is nothing. The Declaration of Independence is nothing. Our forefathers were wackos. And this great nation and the freedom and liberties and opportunities that come with it will crumble around your feet. Because without a creator and creator-endowed unalienable rights, you are no better than the cockroach who lives under your sink. And with that, I'll leave you to think and ponder this for a little while while I take a short break. And after this break, I will return and we will continue with the other ideals and principles that are based upon this one cornerstone that the entire nation rests upon. It is our strength. It is our nation. Don't go away, folks. Don't change that dial. I will be right back after this short break. Oh uh-huh. 
welcome back to the hour of the time. Folks, if you would like to be on the cutting edge, the forefront of those trying to save the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, this country, and thus freedom for the world, you need to join CAGI, the Citizens Agency for Joint Intelligence. It's our own private intelligence network. Much of what you hear on this show is the result of the efforts of many, many heroic men and women who work in this network, some of them taking great risk to supply information. A lot of benefits come with this membership, but I'm not going to take up valuable airtime to tell you what they are. If you would like an information package, or if you'd like to join, if you'd like to join, send $45. That's the membership fee. If you'd like an information package, just write and ask for one, and you'll get it. To William Cooper, Post Office Box 3299, Camp Verde, Arizona, 86322. That's William Cooper, Post Office Box 3299. That's 3299, Camp Verde, Arizona, 86322. Or you can call Stan and ask him to send you a packet that will be on the way tomorrow. Or I should say you could call him tomorrow during normal waking hours and it will be on the way to you tomorrow. Stan's number is 602-567-6109. That's 602-567-6109. And these numbers and the address will be repeated again at the end of the program. Let me recap a little bit about what we covered in the first half. America's founders, dear listeners, embraced a previously unheard of political philosophy, and it's just that, a philosophy. I'm not talking religion here. I'm not talking about the Christian church or the followers of Muhammad or the nation of Islam or the Judaism or Buddhism or anything else. This was a philosophy that this very nation depends upon. For our forefathers knew that the security for liberty and an ageless constitution is based upon lasting principles. And they embraced a previously unheard of political philosophy which held that people are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. This was the statement of guiding principle for the new nation and as such had to be translated into a concrete charter for government. The Constitution of the United States of America became that charter. Other forms of government, past and present, rely on the state as the grantor of human rights. America's founders, however, believed that a government made up of imperfect people exercising power over other people should possess only limited powers. Through their constitution, they wished to secure the blessings of liberty for themselves and for posterity by limiting the powers of government. Through it, they delegated to government only those rights they wanted it to have, holding to themselves all powers not delegated by the constitution. They even provided the means for controlling those powers they had granted to government. This was the unique American idea. Many problems we face today result from a departure from this basic concept. Gradually, 
Other ideas have influenced legislation, which has reversed the roles and given government greater and greater power over individuals. Early generations of Americans pledged their lives to the cause of individual freedom and limited government and warned, warned over and over again, that eternal vigilance would be required to preserve that freedom for posterity. John Jay said this, quote, Let virtue, honor, the love of liberty, be the soul of this Constitution, and it will become the source of great and extensive happiness to this and future generations. Vice, ignorance, and want of vigilance will be the only enemies able to destroy it. Unquote. America's founders knew that it takes more than a perfect plan of government to preserve liberty. Something else is needed. Some moral principle diffused among the people to unite and strengthen the urge to peaceful observance of law. They recognize that the raw materials of a free government are people who can act morally without compulsion, who do not willfully violate the rights of others, and who love liberty enough to demand that government's power is very, very limited. They used the word virtuous to describe such people. Defined by Webster, virtue is a conformity to a standard of right. But whatever word is used to describe it, such a moral standard is the necessary fountainhead to a free society. The Declaration of Independence referred to nature's God, the creator the supreme judge of the world and divine providence. Our nation's founders came together voluntarily to create a limited government to secure for them and posterity their God-given rights to life, liberty, and property. Such liberty, they believed, rested on three great supports. One, natural law and unalienable natural rights granted by the Creator. Two, a written constitution to assure a government of laws, not of rulers, and, number three, virtue among the people, the best defense against tyranny. Their own words are eloquent reminders of their devotion to this belief. In George Washington's farewell address, he said this, quote, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. It is substantially true that virtue or morality is a necessary spring of popular government. Unquote. Samuel Adams, quote, We may look up to armies for our defense, but virtue is our best security. It is not possible that any state should long remain free where virtue is not supremely honored. Unquote. And John Adams, quote, Virtue must underlay all institutional arrangements if they are to be healthy and strong. The principles of democracy are as easily destroyed as human nature is corrupted. Unquote. Our forefathers seem to know much more about human nature than we seem to know today. And Alexis de Tocqueville, the French statesman who traveled across America in the 1830s and wrote a two-volume study entitled, quote, Democracy in America, unquote, is widely quoted as observing this, quote, America is great 
because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Unquote. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Our Declaration of Independence acknowledges a Creator as the source of the unalienable rights that governments are formed to secure, and it is something that most Americans have either forgotten or were never taught. This acknowledgment was the very foundation of the Constitution of the United States of America. What are those unalienable rights with which we are endowed? They may be described in many ways, but English jurist Sir William Blackstone wrote in 1766, quote, These may be reduced to three principal articles. One, the right of personal security, or life. Two, the right of personal liberty, and three, the right of private property. America's written constitution was to protect and secure God-given individual rights to life, liberty, and property. If we ever allow this foundation to be eroded and lose faith that these rights are a gift directly from God to each and every individual, then we lose the basis of the greatness of the miracle of America, the foundation stone of which, upon which the Declaration of Independence was written, the Constitution was written and adopted, and the first ten amendments were introduced and ratified and are now known as the Bill of Rights, and this nation would crumble to dust around our feet. Natural law is the ultimate source of constitutional law, and natural law is God's law. Man must necessarily be subject to the laws of his Creator. This will of his Maker is called the law of nature. This law of nature is, of course, superior to any other. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this, and such of them as are valid derive all their force from this original. Sir William Blackstone, an eminent English jurist. The Founders did not establish the Constitution for the purpose of granting rights. There are no constitutional rights. Rather, they established this government of laws, not a government of men, in order to secure each person's creator-endowed rights to life, liberty, and property. Only in America did a nation's Founders recognize that rights, though endowed by the Creator as unalienable prerogatives, would not be sustained in society unless they were protected under a code of law which was itself in harmony with a higher law. They called it natural law or nature's law. Such law is the ultimate source and established limit for all of man's laws and is intended to protect each of these natural rights for all of mankind. The Declaration of Independence of 1776 established the premise that in America a people might assume the station, quote, to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, unquote. 
Herein lay the security for men's individual rights, an immutable code of law, sanctioned by the creator of man's rights and designed to promote, preserve, and protect him and his fellows in the enjoyment of their rights. They believed that such natural law revealed to man through his reason was capable of being understood by both the plowman and the professor. Sir William Blackstone, whose writings trained Americans' lawyers for its first century, capsulized such reasoning. Quote, for as God, when he created matter and endued it with a principle of mobility, established certain rules for the direction of that motion, so when he created man and endued him with free will to conduct himself in all parts of life, he laid down certain immutable laws of human nature whereby that free will is in some degree regulated and restrained, and gave him also the faculty of reason to discover the purport of those laws." Unquote. What are those natural laws? Well, dear listeners, Blackstone continued, quote, Such among others are these principles, that we should live honestly, should hurt nobody, and should render to everyone his due. Unquote. The founders saw these as moral duties between individuals, and Thomas Jefferson wrote, quote, Man has been subjected by his Creator to the moral law, of which his feelings are conscience, as it is sometimes called, are the evidence with which his Creator has furnished him the moral duties which exist between individual and individual in a state of nature. Accompany them into a state of society their maker not having released them from those duties on their forming themselves into a nation." Unquote. America's leaders of 1787 had studied Cicero, Polybius, Coke, Locke, Montesquieu, and Blackstone, amongst others, as well as the history of the rise and fall of governments throughout history. And they recognized these underlying principles of law as those of the Decalogue, for those of you who don't know what that means, it is the golden rule and the deepest thought of the ages. An example of the harmony of natural law and natural right is Blackstone's, quote, that we should live honestly, unquote, otherwise known as thou shalt not steal, whose corresponding natural right is that of individual freedom to acquire and own through honest initiative private property. In the Founder's view, this law and this right were inalterable and of a higher order than any written law of man. Thus the Constitution confirmed the law and secured the right and bound both individuals and their representatives in government to a moral code which did not permit either to take the earnings of another without his consent. Under this code, individuals could not band together and do through government's coercive power that which was not lawful between individuals. America's Constitution is the culmination of the best reasoning of men of all time and is based on the most profound and beneficial values that mankind has been able to fathom. It is, as William E. Gladstone observed, quote, the most wonderful work ever struck off at a given time by the brain and purpose of man, unquote. 
we should dedicate ourselves to rediscovering and preserving an understanding of our Constitution's basis in natural law for the protection of natural rights, principles which have provided American citizens with more protection for individual rights while guaranteeing more freedom than any people who have ever lived or who live now on the face of this earth. John Locke said, The end of law is not to abolish or restrain, but to preserve and enlarge freedom. You want to know why our economy is in such trouble? Well, Thomas Jefferson had this to say. Quote, we must not let our rulers load us with perpetual debt. We must make our election between economy and liberty, our profusion and servitude. Unquote. Our founders, our forefathers, the wise men who put the building blocks together to make this country, believed in economy and frugality. They believed it wrong for government to take the earnings of some in order to give them to others, for that is against the natural law. They believed in limiting government's spending and taxing powers to the principles of the Constitution. They believed debt to be dangerous to a nation. They believed debt to be a threat to individual liberty. They believed debt to be a form of taxation without representation on the young and unborn. They believed public credit to be a source of strength and security if wisely used for defense of the nation. They built into the Constitution the procedure by which our economy would be governed or run. They said in the Constitution that only Congress can make money. And the Constitution defines what money is when it says that no state shall receive in payment of debt or make in payment of debt anything other than gold or silver coin. Which also means, folks, currency backed by gold or silver coin, although that is not mentioned in the Constitution. If you can take a dollar bill to a bank and get one dollar's worth of gold or silver, that is constitutional money. Everything that we are doing now is illegal, unconstitutional. It is not wise and it can only result in ruin. If you want to know what's wrong with this country, look at what is happening in the country. Look at what is being done, and then read the Constitution and compare the two. And you will see. Look at the principles of our founding fathers, and then look at the welfare state. And you will see. For the welfare state did not exist until it was created. Yes, there were some people in this country who were not as well off as others, but they had the same opportunities and they all had work if they wanted it. And they had their self-respect and they could stand up as men and women with pride. The welfare state has taken that all away from them. Unconstitutional money is taking it away from the rest of us. Although all men are born free. Slavery, dear listeners, has been the general lot of the human race throughout its history. Ignorant, they have been cheated. Asleep, they have been surprised. Divided, the yoke has been forced upon them. But what is the lesson? 
The people ought to be enlightened, to be awakened, to be united, that after establishing a government they should watch over it. It is universally admitted that a well-instructed people alone can be permanently free. James Madison said that. Folks, I wrote a book called Behold a Pale Horse, and it opens most of the doors to the puzzles that you've all been baffled by. It puts the pieces together for the first time in history. It's 500 pages of the most well-documented suppressed information ever printed in the history of the world. And it can be yours for $25, plus $5 postage and handling if you're not a CAGI member. If you are a CAGI member, it's still $20, plus $5 postage and handling. We had to tack on the extra dollar because of the rising cost of sending this stuff out to you. Also, if you would like to join CAGI, the Citizens Agency for Joint Intelligence, the membership fee is $45. That's $45, folks. Send it to William Cooper, whether you're sending your membership fee or your money for my book. Send it to William Cooper, Post Office Box 3299, Camp Verde, Arizona, 86322. That's P.O. Box 3299, Camp Verde, Arizona, 86322. Or you can call Stan and have him send you a packet of information at 602-567-6109. Good night, folks. God bless you, and God bless America.